Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa, and today we're going to be joined by old friend of the show, Derek Helling. Um, we like to check in with Derek from time to time because he's he's really knowledgeable about the, the business aspects of the game, and there's a few things that have popped up since the last time we talked to him regarding the concussion issues. Uh, we have some legalized sports betting angles we need to look at, especially since I'm here in Vegas, and I, I do partake if you will, uh, the legalized sports betting. But now that it's been approved federally, uh, there's a lot of other localities and ramifications along with that. Um, interesting thing that Chris and Derek were talking about is the uh, compensation for NCAA athletes and how that's going to affect the business of the game too. So let me let me bring in Chris and Derek. Derek, thanks for taking the time to join us this morning. Thank you very much for having me once again. Yeah, it's great to have Derek on. And uh, I think Derek uh, sent me a note that he he's got a nugget uh, on uh, on the Seattle franchise. So why don't we kick off with that and then take it from there? That sounds good. We just did a show there on the Seattle, uh, you know, on the Seattle situation. That was a fun show to talk about. So, Derek, what do you got for us? Um, based on what I'm hearing, the franchise is getting close to having both of its creative and sales teams full, which those are usually what you want to have in place, unless, of course, you're going to farm that out, which usually isn't the case for NHL-level franchises. But uh, you want to have those in place before you start making major announcements, like what, like what are your team colors, what's your logo, what's your team nickname going to be. Um, so getting those all those positions filled, which from what I hear they're close, is going to be kind of a preamble to some big announcements coming out of there. And as far as the timeline on those, um, usually you like to do those around a major event when the eyes are going to be on the league for some, for some other reason. I think all-star break this year is going to be a little bit too close, but I could see potentially come playoff time, um, us getting some announcements from the franchise along those lines. Yeah, from what we heard a couple of weeks ago, they were kind of aiming for that all-star weekend break. But like you said, yeah. without having that whole creative team in place to finalize colors and logos and, and stuff like that. Uh, we know it took the Golden Knights uh, two years plus to come up with their name and uh, color scheme and logo, and there's trademark issues and copyright issues that have to be dealt with and sorted out depending on you know, what names they're going after. And you're saying now that, that that's probably a little bit optimistic there, but so we may not be seeing the Seattle Sasquatch announcement at the All-Star game. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm pulling for roasters myself. My wife, my wife works in coffee. So uh, I'd love to see something right. along those lines. Yeah. Seattle roasters. Interesting. Interesting. Chris, do you have a favorite for the uh, the Seattle name out of the Seattle Famine, the Seattle Seahead, the uh, all kind of things. The Kraken has been thrown around. I'm a big Bigfoot guy, so uh, I'm, I'm down with the Seattle Foxwatch. That, that could be some good logos. Except Colorado already has a Bigfoot in their logo, so I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what the colors are. and uh, I heard that... Uh, uh, Bruckheimer's got something a little bit different up his sleeve that's uh, supposed to be pretty jazzy. So um, I'm curious what the colors are going to be. Well, Bruckheimer, as, as you guys both know, I think, uh, almost was successful in bringing the Pittsburgh franchise to Las Vegas back in 2009-2010. 
before Mario Lemieux stepped in, and, and also the economy crashed, and that kind of put the key boss on franchise movement um, at, at that point in time. But I think he's he's going to be great. He's a big hockey fan, um, and I think he's going to be great. But I'm still going to guess that uh, as far as excuse me, as far as Seattle color scheme goes, we're probably going to be looking at some shades of blue and green. I mean, I'm I'm out on a limb with that. But I think that's uh, I think we're going to be at some form of that as long as it's not the same shape as Vancouver, um, too close obviously and all that. But uh, that's my guess on the color scheme too. At this point, I don't, I think it's anyone's guess. I haven't heard or seen anything. So yeah. all right, all right. Well, let's move on. Uh, one of the things that we talked about last time was the legal process the NHL and the Players Association are going through um, regarding head injuries and concussions. What can you update us on um, in that respect as far as how that's coming along? Yeah. Well, as we spoke about last time, the NHL had issued a settlement with the members of the proposed class who had um, filed suit against it in that is in the uh, federal district, in excuse me, the northern district of Minnesota in the federal court there. Um, all but six of the members of that proposed class accepted the offer from the league, and that and uh, hence uh, waived their rights to ever bring really any action against the league for any injury ever again, not only for themselves but their descendants as well. Um, unfortunately, in my opinion, for them. Um, so we got six holdouts, and basically what's, what we're waiting on now is the federal district court in Minnesota to, dis- to make a decision on the NHL's petition uh, to remand those cases back to their original courts that, they were, that those cases were originally filed in. Uh, a couple of those, that's already happened, so we're awaiting court dates for those. If a, if a new settlement isn't reached, that's always a possibility at this point. And so, once again, we're just kind of right back in wait-and-see mode. Um, covering the law is a lot of waiting, and then you get to – and then when the, these briefs drop, then you get to read through hundreds of pages so that you could – discern probably the three to five hundred words that the majority of your audience is going to care about so it's a funny <laughs> right 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 yeah let's uh that we'll let you read the few hundreds and then we'll bring you back on when those cases <laughs> get settled and, and we'll talk about the three to five hundred words um, yeah. while you were just talking there and i want to know if, if if you're familiar with all of the plaintiffs in the case and if there was any action brought in absentia um, from players like Lugard, Derek Lugard, who's passed away, or any any post mortem uh, yeah. plaintiffs, and if mm-hmm. so, who are they, and how are those uh, in relation to whether they were settled or still some of the six that are pending? Yeah, well, there's one that uh, that is still pending. It's the estate of uh, of Steve Montador. And okay. uh, um, among the six holdouts, I believe that he probably has the strongest case. Um, to and his, excuse me, his case has already been remanded back to the original district, uh, which is New York. So we're awaiting a court date in that one. So we'll see what happens. Of course, as I already said, the NHL could just make a new settlement offer, and the estate could accept that. We could never see a trial. Um, so we'll have to see what the estate decides to do. They've passed on one settlement offer. We'll see. I'm sure that the NHL is going to make a di- another one. So we'll see whether or not they accept a different one. Um, with some of the other holdouts from accepting the settlement, I don't know if the NHL is going to be able to make any offer that's going to, to satiate them. Um, Daniel Carbom Carcio and Mike and Mike Peluso both seem pretty determined to have their day in court no matter what it costs them. So we'll see what happens there. You know, well, what Derek, makes, um, what oh. makes uh, real, real quick, Chris, I wanted to follow up on what makes, excuse me, I'm still getting over the cold guys. So please forgive me. No problem. Um, 
What makes the Montador case uh, stronger than some of the other plaintiffs, in your opinion? In my opinion, I've read through the complaint that Montador made before, uh, before they attempted to file the class action. And I think that he that the way that the brief was written, that his attorney, his counsel, did a really good job of writing around the arguments that the NHL has made back and through that was able to convince the court to let it file this really league-friendly settlement in the first place, Um, specifically those being the NHL still denies that CTE is even a real disease. The NHL still denies that there's any correlation whatsoever that – there's a, that there's any link between playing ice hockey and, and sustaining head injuries and developing well, neurological disease because of that. So basically, kind of like Philip Morris saying that cigarettes doesn't cause cancer. Yeah. So <laughs> what I think Montador did really well is focus on the points that that the NHL hasn't focused on itself, and basically just focus, instead of trying to substantiate. That that Montador died of CTE. Basically, they're they're just hammering the points that that the, that this was that this was irresponsible behavior by the NHL during his playing career and the teams that Montador played for, and that they failed to inform him of the risk that he incurred in that line of work. Um, so I think focusing on those two claims has really set Montador apart in that regard. You know, Derek, I've been, um, before I ask you about uh, the NCAA, just uh, from a mm-hmm. 30,000-foot perspective on this issue, I've been amazed in a bad way of the NHL stance on concussions with all the analysis, the data, the research, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and especially after what the NFL went through, taking a similar yeah. stance, and what a PR nightmare that was, it's kind of mm-hmm. like they're they're following the same playbook, and I get it, when in doubt, follow the money, and I know money's that involved here, but I'm just, I'm a bit perplexed of their stance, given how all Again, following it seems to me that they follow the NFL playbook from a number of years ago, which went mm-hmm. off very badly. I mean, yeah. uh, how do you? Uh, I'm confused. Well, I, I would say that probably um, that the only reason the NFL ever admitted that there was a correlation between playing American football and developing neurological trauma is because because one guy. Um, was really pinned down by a United States senator in a hearing and finally admitted it. Um, if not for that, probably the NFL would also still be making the same claims as as, uh, as the NHL does right now, that CTE doesn't exist and there's no correlation between playing its sport and developing neurological disease. Um, there, was a ch- there was a chance for that moment. This past summer, um, when Gary Bettman testified in front of Parliament, unfortunately, none of the members of Parliament really pressed it to that degree. So perhaps, uh, perhaps another member of Congress here in the United States could uh, maybe someday get somebody from the league office to break down. I guess if you want to use that term, at some point, and that would shift. Uh, the NHL stance on everything. I think it probably is going to take that. Interesting. Um, want to get your take on uh, a little talk with the NCAA uh, new law with compensation. And I'll let, uh, talk mm-hmm. about that for a bit, and then we'll probably I'll let Mark finish up on the sports betting. And you got some nuggets there as well. So on the NCAA, in terms of compensation, the, the new law, I'm trying to remember when that broke. That was over the summertime or whatnot. So, what what effect could that have for college hockey, which is you know, a very big thing here in the in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's not college football, it's not college basketball, but as we all know, it it, it is a big part of the sport and the pipeline for the sport. So, what's the ramifications yeah. for 
college hockey. Well, we're in the, once again, <laughs> this is the same thing. Uh, we're in a lot of wait and see mode right now. Um, about a month or so ago, the NCAA Board of Governors voted to accept a to adopt a recommendation from a working group which basically said that we're going to basically just pass the buck here onto the university presidents from our three levels from NCAA division 1 2 and 3 to draft new rules that will and here's the important language that you have to really pay attention to that will allow athletes additional benefits from the use of their name, image, and likeness. There's no mention of compensation or profit anywhere in the NCAA's statement. So all the people who took that and reported that that now college athletes can make money off of their publicity rights and they won't receive any punishment whatsoever from the NCAA were completely that that was just flat out wrong, completely misled people in that regard. Um, so that's ongoing right now. The NCAA says it's going to have those new rules for its three levels to be for all the university presidents who are members of the that uh, group to vote on, but sometime in 2021. Um, as you probably have heard of, um, the state of California has already enacted a law regarding this very issue. However, that, that won't take effect until 2023. And I have my doubts about whether or not the state is actually going to be able to enforce it because there's some pretty strong legal precedent on the NCAA side that states cannot regulate it. Um, the NCAA or any of its members. Um, and I can get into exactly why that is if you want me to, but, uh, the, so then the other player in this drama is the United States Congress. Um, there's a working group in the Senate right now that has met once already. Um, representative Mark Walker from North Carolina has, has filed a bill in the U S house, which is, currently in committee that would essentially, well, basically how it works right now is all NCAA athletes who are legal adults own their publicity rights, just like every other adult in the United States. What the NCAA asks you, asks them to do is to voluntarily forfeit those rights during the time they are participating as an athlete for one of the member institutions. Um, as unsavory and, in my opinion, illegal that is, right now they're getting away with it because none of the governmental bodies are, are willing to prosecute. And as we all know, laws are only as good as the, as the, as the governmental bodies willing to actually make arrests and, and enforce them. Um, so basically what, what Representative Walker's bill would do if it were to become laws, it would make a le- make it illegal for NCAA institutions to force athletes to do that. That's the long and short of that bill. Um, then just this week, Representative Donald Sh- Donna Shalala from Florida filed a bill in the U.S. House to form a working group to look at college athletics in a more comprehensive way and and compensation is one of those issues. So we're waiting to see what there's, there's also about, I would say about 13, 14 other States who are considering bills similar to California's right now. So we're, so we're kind of waiting on all these moving parts. We're waiting on to see what the NCAA is going to do, waiting to see what all these States are going to do. We're waiting to see what Congress is going to do. And in the meantime, it's the status quo. Nothing has changed. All right. Well, um, man, that's a lot to digest there. Um, <laughs> it, 
I think we all know what status the uh, United States government is in right now. So I, I, yeah. I think we'll be waiting quite a while for them to either get involved in the NCAA aspect of it and also the NHL uh, concussion issue. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I, I, I think uh, we all know that <laughs> it's pretty much a joke right now. But um, they did pass a law that legalized sports gambling on a federal level and, and pushed it back down to the states in order for their mm-hmm. bodies to regulate sports betting. Uh, mm-hmm. And after that, the MGM has obviously been partnered with the Vegas Golden Knights uh, from the get-go. They own T-Mobile Arena, after all, and uh, put into a very into place a very favorable lease for Bill Foley and the Golden Knights. But at, since then, they've uh, announced a league-wide partnership with the NHL as the official gaming partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me again, of the National Hockey League. What changes are we going to – are we going to be seeing betting kiosks in the arenas? Uh, they, they, the, their press release said their the unique opportunity to take advantage of data and statistics in order to present the fans with uh, unique gaming platforms. Um, are, are we seeing any of that starting to come into place, or, or are those kinds of things still being worked out? Well, right now I would say that Vegas is unique, but that's not going to be the case for them. Um, there's going to be a sports book inside Capital One Arena, which is the home of the Washington Capitals. So, all right. Um, and the monumental sports entertainment, which owns the Capitals along with the Wizards and the Mystics there, um, is going to collect rent from William Hill as the sports book operator there. Right. And they will collect rent. That is the only way that they will make money off of the sports book there. Um, and, but you will be able to eventually go to Caps games and bet on pretty much everything, um, that the book offers there, uh, including Caps games, you will be able to bet on there. Pretty much the only thing that you will not be able to bet on according to uh, the DC law would be, um, college teams that inhabit the DC or any college games that are played in DC. So, like, you won't be able to go in and bet on a Georgetown Hoyas basketball game, for example. But other than that, it's going to be fair game. Um, DC is the only place where that's going to be happening. Um, Illinois law also allows stadiums with capacity of at least 17,000 to apply for and receive a sportsbook license. So, I believe that eventually you're going to see a sportsbook either in or very close to the United Center in Chicago. Um, and they, it may not be inside because the Illinois law gives them a, gives the holders of these licenses, your stadium, stadium licenses, a five-block exclusivity zone. Um, so it may be across the street, maybe you know down a few blocks, um, but it will be ran in conjunction with the United Center. And um, that's going to be interesting because because mobile mobile betting kind of throws, I guess, a wrench into that in regards to enforcing that exclu- exclusivity zone. Right. Um, yeah, uh, because the geolocation services are great, are the best we have available right now. However, the best we have available right now can only zero in on your location to within a few hundred feet. Um, so if, if you're right on, like you're six blocks away from the United Center, for example, or in, in D.C. it's a two-block exclusivity zone. If you're right on the border, the geolocation service that those sportsbooks use always there on the side of caution. So you may have to like let's say for example that yeah that you're in Chicago you're within a few blocks of the United Center um, in, a, in a theoretical future here the United Center partners with DraftKings to run its sports book there and your uh, book of choice is FanDuel if you're right on the border there you may have to walk a few blocks away from the United Center before FanDuel's will uh software will let you actually it place can, a bet. Right. Yeah. Um, Interesting, but, too. Uh, in, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Go ahead. In uh, Washington, the William Hill, that's one of the big sports betting apps in, here in Las Vegas. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting that they're branching out that way. I wanted to ask, um, in the early 90s, the, the college restrictions uh, applied to UNLV here in Las Vegas. And eventually mm-hmm. that went away, and UNLV came mm-hmm. put back on the board. And a lot of that had to do with the Arizona State Sun Devils sports, sports fixing scandal. And the way the investigators really found out what was going on, they were able to access, with the full cooperation of the Arizona Rice Sportsbook, access the betting trends um, they were seeing in the sportsbook and identified mm-hmm. that there were specific games that uh, – the statistics of, of how the games were bet were completely off the charts compared to what normal college sports yeah. betting mm-hmm. was, and and eventually that you know that was also a sticking point on bringing the pro franchise to Las Vegas was how would the ga- gaming aspect be handled, and eventually as that just all became water over the bridge, I, I was mm-hmm. wondering in in the DC area if there was a reason given. For excluding the NCAA games from being uh, able to be bet on in the arena. Yeah, I think that I think that the majority of the reason why some of the states in DC have limited betting on on college games is because of the poor compensation that they receive in exchange for their labor. There's the fear that they're more susceptible to people trying to fix matches because of that. Um, whether or not that's true is really, to me, beside the point. Um, you brought up the fact that that the, that sports books are looking at these at the data and seeing an unusual high amount of action on a particular game. That's something that they're constantly monitoring for. Right. And so let's say that 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 uh, in, in the example you brought up that a UNLV hockey player. Um, Gets a uh, gets gets a, uh, a a Benjamin a handshake from somebody with a few Benjamins inside of it to to throw the game or to to take or to play a part in throwing the game. Um, that's going to be they're not going to do that and then not course not place the corresponding bets to go along with that. That's yeah. going to send off red flags and um, yeah. going to be kind of nipped in the bud. So there's so there's safeguards in place to protect people from those things, regardless of whether they play in the NCAA or the NHL. Um, and to me, there's a downside. There's a big downside of carving out college games from the legal sports betting scene is that not only – do you leave these athletes who are poorly compensated for their performances vulnerable because you keep those bets on the black market, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but you're, but you're losing out on not only the revenue benefits of that, but you're also leaving these teams um, without the same regulatory protection that their counterparts in in, in the in, in the NHL enjoy because their games are part of the legal framework. Exactly, and that was always our case here in, in Nevada. Um, going back um, to the NFL, wouldn't even allow the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce to air commercials during the Super Bowl a few years ago because yeah. they were worried about you know perceptions and reality. And they they had this um, hypocritical stance that the NFL doesn't have anything to do with sports wagering, but at the same time, if a team doesn't accurately report its injuries during the week, they're subject to very hefty fines. And the only reason that an injury report is of real value to anybody is to a sports gambler. Of course, yes. Really, it's just a position of keeping the amateur perception um, protected. And in mm. Las Vegas, we've known for a long time that if you don't take action on a game, it can't be regulated. Yeah. So it, it yeah. seems to me that sooner or later, 
the, the DC market as well as, as other markets uh, and states that come into uh, the sports gambling aspect should take a good hard look at, at the Las Vegas model and realize that being able to regulate those games gives them a, a big upper hand on the illegal yeah. bookmaking activities and mm-hmm. are able to spot these things and stop them and put them in the bed, as you say. And is yeah. it really just a case of, of trying to protect perception like the NFL is doing? Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. Um, Indiana has done exactly what Vegas does as far as college athletics go, completely taken a kind of a lossy fair approach and treated it exactly like um, games in the NHL. And not only are they, are the college teams within that state enjoying the full regulatory protections that, that the, uh, that the NFL, that the Colts and Pacers enjoy, but the, but the state coffers are getting full from it as well. So um, I think it's a win-win situation. And for me, it's always been, and, and with the professional salaries, um, I've been going through the rough in the last 20 years um, for a number of reasons, but the, the weak link in the fixing aspect, and we saw it in the NBA a few years ago, is the referee. Has there been any systems put in place to either monitor or what, you know, look at the way certain games go when certain referees are, are enacted in that, you know, in that, in that game, assigned to that game, and the betting regulations um, and activities based on referees? Because the guy who's making yep. $5 million a year isn't going to take a handful of Benjamins to, to mm-hmm. uh, you know, trip and fall over the blue line and give up a breakaway in overtime. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's not going to throw that career away for a handful of Benjamins. The weak link here yeah. has always, in my mind, been a referee. Yeah. Um, well, I would say that probably um, most of that's going to fall in the leagues t- as far as monitoring the activity of referees, um, I would say that anything unusual is going to really stick out in that regard because of how closely they're scrutinized. Um, to, does that 100% protect against any opportunity or any possibility of, of a referee acting in that way? Absolutely not. Um, I don't think there's ever going to be a full system that 100% and it, it eliminates any possibility of somebody trying to fix a match. Um, with that being said, the more this becomes a regulated and, um, and digitized commodity is basically right. what it is, um, where, where every movement that happens on the ice or whatever surface you're playing any sport on is, is not only collected but distributed, and so uh, is the betting information. Um, yeah. The odds of you getting being able to get away with anything like that are going to be more and more and more slim. And that was always our point here in Las Vegas was that if you allow people to walk into a sports book to bet on a football game, the odds of that game being fixed go down, not up, because like you say, for all the money, there's too much at stake for a sports book not to pay that close attention. Yeah. And like you say, that's a good point to make about once it's digitized and you can download the data set and search mm-hmm. it any which way you can with keywords. Uh, you can put a, a player's name or a referee's name and find out which way betting action goes when certain players are in or out or referees are assigned to a game. Um, mm-hmm. Once all that becomes digitized, like you said, um, the, re- the, the ability to regulate it goes up exponentially. And there's always been a case in that case that there's no reason not to have a legalized, regulated sports wagering system. Yeah. So the NBA being the first uh, team to embrace it, I believe Commissioner Silver uh, was the first one that said, you know what, we don't have a problem with being in, in, in Las Vegas, and the gaming is not a factor for us. 
and finally the NFL came along, and now the NFL is playing for the NBA. It's a good thing for fans, and it's a good thing for um, obviously the engines of the world. And the more we go along, and the, and the, the better it is. The integrity of the game, in my opinion, um, becomes more solid. I agree. So you well, got to remember that. You got to remember that they've been doing this. Like I said they've been doing this in Europe with football matches for decades already, really without any major incident. So, I, so I, I think that's going to be so the the least of my concerns is is integrity of these of these contests being affected by sports betting. Um, as I as I cover this industry, the, my only concern is is uninformed and ignorant people. In state legislatures making bad laws. I actually have uh, wanted to bring up one point about this uh, from more of a 30,000 point view. And mm-hmm. uh, being out here on the East Coast, um, and again, being in an area where um, I'm not close to Atlantic City, where it wasn't regularly easily to make, to make a bad end. My concern, my concern about this is basically this was a big person who, uh, to get the ball rolling on this, was Chris Christie in New Jersey, the governor at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, states are so short of money and so unable uh, to solve problems and work a budget saying this is our revenues, where are our costs under control. And someone said, you know what we should do is, you know, all those black markets or all those things over the Internet, offshores, that getting this money from gambling – uh, we should take we should take that money, and the theory behind it was, uh, well, these are people who are already gambling. We're not creating any new gamblers, uh, mm-hmm. things of that nature. So when now the, the you know as we approach 2020, and technology and smartphones, and I'm not you know look I'm not trying to be Father Flanagan here, and I'm not worried about mm-hmm. uh, you know the three of us who are. I mean, me and Mark are in our 40s. I don't know how old you are, Derek, but you're an adult. I'm 38. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm on the other side of the 40s. So, so I'm not I, I, I'm not worried to say about that group, but you know, the new the the, the new group of uh, young you know teenagers of you know that college mm-hmm. level. This now this is going to be available to them. Uh, mm-hmm. This, you know, the, the kids who are 13 for five years from now who are going to be that much easier to make a bet. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I, I think this, uh, I think this could be really a disaster for states to, you know, do a, you know, grab, grab some money to solve problems which they, you know, refuse to solve on their own. I, I just mm-hmm. don't like the, how this all adds. Uh, I don't, you know, like I said, gambling is, I've been, you know, obviously I've been in Las Vegas, I've been in Atlantic City. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. a fun thing to do if you're into that, and I, I've done it from time to time. Uh, but it's also a, a responsibility, and you need to be smart about it. And yeah. I, I just think, you know, when you're 18, you think you're smart, and you're really not. And, of course, I completely you, agree with you. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, I'm I'm worried about five years from now reading, you know, seeing a spot on, on 60 Minutes about all these, you know, college-educated kids who their parents are going to have to bail out that they're, you know, they mm-hmm. lost all this money and things like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we've passed these laws without uh, without thinking the whole thing through. Um, I, know, I know it's been in Europe for a long time. You can bet on matches, but there are, you know, there are also other things in Europe um, – that aren't a problem that we have a big problem in our country, such as yeah. that's well, off topic, but such as gun control is an example. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm just I'm just a little bit nervous. I hope I'm like completely wrong. Look, at the end of the day, if someone wants to bet twenty dollars instead of going to movie, that's their business. But there's a mm-hmm. lot more heavy action. Uh, I remember when FanDuel, had, I think it was FanDuel, the DraftKings had their thing a couple of years ago where somebody knew somebody from one system or one company was able to yeah. win off another yeah, company. Absolutely. And and I heard people calling in the local radio stations here, and it was a real education of people calling in saying, oh, well, that will never happen to me because I play head-to-head matches. 
So I'm thinking like someone saying, oh, I pay $20, $25, maybe $50. Yeah. And, that, and they're mm-hmm. saying, oh, I pay $500. I put $1,000, you know, on a Sunday. Yeah. So I hear all that and I see all this and it makes me nervous. Again, I hope I'm, uh, again, I, I don't want to tell people how to, you know, spend their money or whatnot. I'm not trying to do that. But, uh, you know, it is, it is a, gambling is something to be uh, handled delicately, if that's the right word. I I agree with you with a lot of your points. Um, I would add that, that to me that's another that's what your concerns are exactly another reason uh, for the for legalization. Um, legal sports books, all the states that have legalized it, and DC and so far have made requirements for these legal sports books as part of the taxes that they pay to those jurisdictions for for part of those funds to be allocated toward free problem gambling resources. Um, all of these legal sports books have to prominently display information about how people can access these resources um, when you first start to access these sports books. Of course, you can't, make, of course you can't make the people um, who have these issues um, address that. Um, there's a certain level of personal responsibility. But the but the non but the unregulated the illegal bookies that are operating the offshore channels they aren't contributing anything back of that toward society or doing anything to address the problem. Um, to me, and to me, that's just another reason why we need to legalize this activity. Well, yeah, my sports betting app. As soon as I open it up, the window of uh, the gamblers. I don't know if it's gamblers anonymous, but I'm going to use that as a generic term here. Um, the phone mm-hmm. number on it pops up. If you have a problem with this and you need help, call this 800 number, and the resources are available. Before you can do anything else in the app, you have to clear that window. So, to your point, that that is something that is being. Um, instituted also in, in Las Vegas. Um, the other thing I'd say is, like you said, there's a there's a measure of personal responsibility, just like mm-hmm. um, alcohol, just like yeah. um, tobacco use, just like any other thing that is considered a lifestyle choice. That obviously, mm-hmm. we want laws where you can't pull out a gun and shoot somebody because they cut you off on the freeway. But when you start to legislate uh, lifestyle choices, you go down a slippery slope because what's fine for me might be a problem for someone else. And when you restrict someone's freedoms and liberties, that doesn't have a problem with it because somebody else might have a problem with it. You go down this slippery slope, you know, they say, watch out. You know, they, they first they came for him, then they came for those, then they came for me. And I'm, I've always thought that, you know, living in America, personal, you know, they, I, freedom is hard. Freedom comes with a cost, and it comes with a discipline that's required of it. The United States doesn't guarantee you the prize. It guarantees you the opportunity to chase the prize, so to speak, if you know, if you know what I mean. So having... The other states uh, institute what Nevada's always done uh, is putting money aside for the people that do have a problem with it and regulating the industry, like you would alcohol, tobacco, or you know some states. You know Nevada, one of them has legalized the cannabis industry and put aside money for uh, prevention and and abuse hotlines and help centers. Um, I think that's as far as I would want to go. I, I is as long as it's something like I said, you're not gonna you're not gonna ever pass a law where you can pull out your gun on the freeway or you know excuse me break into somebody's house because you want their TV. Those are all things that harm other people. But when it comes down to legislating personal behavior, because some people can handle it and some people can't handle it, I really don't like that. Um, I don't know where you stand on that, Derek. Well, I mean. It, to me, it's a, it's an issue by issue thing. Um, right. It's very hard to to me to make a blank make a blanket statement about about how involved um, federal, state, and local government should be in our in our daily lives. Um, to me, it's an issue by issue thing. To me, sports betting is is an issue where um, where we when you weigh the benefits against the potential downsides of legalization, to me, the benefits outweigh the potential harms 
quite uh, by quite a margin. And in the, in the, as that is a specific case, right? In the, yeah. keeping it illegal and un, un, you know you don't know who's being affected by it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's uh, black market, so to speak. By legalizing it and and creating help centers and stuff, you can bring it out into the open if you will. And yeah. that's that's yeah. my opinion on the subject, Chris. I don't know if I've swayed you at, at all in, in uh, uh, yeah. what your concerns like I, are. Yeah, like I said, look, I mean I I don't wanna like, you know, sound like uh, I've never met a bet bet in my life. I mean I, I don't make bets like okay. uh Yes, you know, when I I've gone to casinos many times in my life, from the Bahamas to New Orleans to Las Vegas, uh, I don't really go on gambling trips and that. But uh, the opportunities I've gone, I've gone to those, and I've enjoyed. You know, in the times I've won, I've enjoyed. In the times I've lost, not as much. But my my point being is, I just see a lot of young people. The easy access that's gonna combination of certain parts of the country. Nope. That that are that or like New Jersey already have and others mm-hmm. coming. Um, that combination makes me nervous. And the any way you slice it, though, you ha- I think you have to agree is we will. And I don't know what the percentage is, but we will create more people with gambling problems. So you just can't. I mean, if you're going to make well, it easier yeah. to gamble um, now, uh, yeah. So I, I just. Again, when I think about the genesis of how this got started, like, for instance, just to wrap up, like here in Long Island, our budgets, we can never meet our budgets uh, in New Long Island, New York. Um, the, the uh, You know, the budgets for what we pay for schools and uh, budgets yeah. in terms of overtime for police. So instead of mm-hmm. saying taking a step back and you're in Long Island or you're in New Jersey and saying, okay, we know our revenues on a given year is $100 million dollars. Our expenses are 120 million. What are the drivers mm-hmm. of the expenses that are causing that extra? And where can we, you know, uh, you know, and how do we solve that? That yeah. uh, actually, Mark, indirectly, you alluded to at the beginning of the show, in terms of how Washington and our, our politics, even not just a Washington state, uh, federal, state, yeah, yeah. local level, is a mess. So instead of just yeah. getting together and saying, okay, how are we going to solve that? The, the the reason that the genesis of really what got this going is, hey, let's get the money from the black market to our state. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how many P, uh, I's and T's are being dotted to make sure, uh, you know, the, the, the bad dominoes, if you will, are being looked after by each individual state. Uh, you know, I know New York is very, uh, has a little trepidation of, uh, moving forward, at least at this point in time. So, uh, mm-hmm. again, uh, I'm just raising my hand saying I'm a little nervous. I'm not saying, yeah. like, this is going to be a 100% bad thing. I'm that's not, a good point. That's, yeah, I, I'm just I, I'm just saying I'm a little nervous. If, you know, and again, like I said, if someone wants to bet $20 or $40, whatever it is, uh, that's a reasonable amount of money, instead of going out to a nice fancy dinner and a that's their business, you know. I don't have that, but once we start yeah. to escalate, uh, you know, uh, that's 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 where, you know, this, 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 this you know, that's where this thing, you know, uh, can become a rabbit hole, which uh, yeah. which it has for a lot of people. So that that's my yeah. point about. You know, that's the that's yeah. the same argument, and I agree with it to an extent. That a, a any any government doesn't have a revenue problem. I mean, the federal government took in more in tax money last year than it ever has before for dollars right. and cents. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have a spending problem. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and at, like in Nevada, when you legalize marijuana, you're, you're going to have more people smoking marijuana. And, and yeah. as you say, Chris, when you legalize gambling, you're going to have more people gambling. There's things there's that certain stigma of I'm not going to go find a bookie and, and place my $20 three-team parlay on Sunday because it's illegal, whereas when you go down to the sports book and make a $20 three-team parlay and then have some breakfast and watch football, it's a normalized thing. Mm-hmm. And I get and, and it's a fair point that you make, Chris, that when, you're, when you take away that stigma, that it will normalize it to a certain extent. But I also – I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of, of smaller government, fewer laws, um, protect the people, um, and, and let the people 
you know, figure things out for themselves. That's just my personal view. But I, I believe you're absolutely right, Chris. When when you have a spending problem and you're not willing to rein that in, like I mean, we just passed what a trillion dollar spending bill that only goes through September of next year at the federal government level. Um, yeah. That's nine months to operate this big behemoth of a bureaucracy that at the time, at right now broken. I mean, we can all agree that Washington D.C. is broken right now for any mm-hmm. number of reasons. This the spending issue, as opposed to the revenue issue, is just one part of it that's broken. Um, and yeah. then on the backs of people who may end up problem gamblers or um, smashed up in a car wreck because they stopped at the dispensary and got high on the way home and and chose to get behind the wheel and drive under the influence mm-hmm. of marijuana. Um, there's a part of that that sticks me the wrong way, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. This is uh, like I said. All these different things. There are going to be different dominoes that you now fall fall from it. And like I said, um, you know, the, the states are basically like, well, we can't. You know, we can't solve these problems. Everyone has drawn their political lines in the sand. If they're on the left or the right or the middle or whatever, what have you. And and uh, and then they'll you know they look at these different things which you know a few years ago they, they would be heresy uh, to say so again I don't profess yeah. to have to have the answers um, mm-hmm. I'm just like I said uh, it, it it does make me a little and I did read a study somewhere in local papers in the fall saying um, at least some initial data. Uh, that there were a lot, a lot of first-time gamblers jumping mm-hmm. on these sites, and um, yeah. you know these sites are in it to make a buck, or make as much money as they can, like any other company. And I hear them all the time. Even though it's illegal to gamble in New York, you can you know hop over to Jersey, and these promos mm-hmm. of you know bet you know uh, bet five hundred dollars and we'll give you bet free first time free. Like they're not saying bet twenty dollars, mm-hmm. they're saying bet five hundred dollars. And you know, I guess I work. I, I, you know, I, how I don't even know how it works. It's just how because I'm not a gambler. Uh, but in terms of you have to bet five hundred dollars, and then we'll put if you lose, don't worry, we'll just put it in your bank. Because and I'm thinking to myself, well, the reason they have this promotion is they know they're going to get your five hundred dollars. They know even when yeah. they put the money back in your bank, um, you know. So uh, I, you know, I hear that, and I just uh, it just makes me nervous. Yeah. I think that That's fair what I, I cover these, I cover sports betting for a living, and the, in the gambling and casino industries, and um, as I've as I've watched this evolve, um, I think the states have done a great job of including problem gambling protocols in their tax frameworks, and um, in as far as. Most of them have a pretty robust self-exclusion program that is available to people. Um, what I think probably needs to increase in this endeavor that in, to address the issue that you have raised, Chris, is, is, uh, is education programs for, for young people to, to learn uh, about exactly the point that you just raised. Is that um, is that these promo- that even with these the, the promotions that the sports books offer, um, the, the the strong 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 odds are that, that you're still going to lose that money, um, even if they give you some credit. It, that the credit is not the same as cash in your bank account or in your wallet. Um, and so that's that's one area where I, where I completely agree with you, and I would love to see states implement more programs to do that um, maybe it, it, whether that be going into high school doing presentations or whatever um, is idea. to let the next generation know about the pitfalls of sports betting that hey this is in a few years you're going to be eligible to do this it can be great fun it can be entertaining but it can also uh, be very dangerous and destructive if you're irresponsible with it uh, we're doing that with alcohol and narcotics and um, and other substances, I, I see no reason not to do it with with gambling as well. 
And I'll make one last point. You know, a few years ago, Steve Wynn, I don't know if it was a 60 Minutes piece, I don't know why I'm plugging 60 Minutes, but he was on some uh, interview show, and uh, they asked Steve Wynn, um, you know, can you win at the casinos? And he said, yeah, sure, if you own one. You know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, well, that was a funny line. I, I think, you know, uh, I think, uh, and again, you know, people, I think eight out of ten people who, who go to Vegas on a, on a trip, they they lose at the casino. Now, not all betters are equal. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know what they're doing, yeah. but that mm-hmm. that would also fall into this as well. So that I'm just like I said, raising my hand, and I'm hope I'm being just uh, you know just overly protective or whatnot. And it's good to hear Derek that you're saying that the states have done some due diligence and whatnot. And um, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, we'll have to see how that all. Like I said, the the, the world of technology has, has such change. Uh, you know, a couple of clicks of a button away, uh, and mm-hmm. you know that makes mm-hmm. a, that makes a big difference as well uh, in so many yes. uh, aspects of our lives. I agree. And I've always said we don't have all these big, beautiful buildings out here in the middle of nowhere because people will leave with their money. That's but, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a furthest point. Derek, it's been a great time talking to you, sir. I always like to get get in touch with you and and get into some of the broader. Uh, business aspects and, and other aspects of the game besides what the uh, on on ice discussions that Chris and I mm-hmm. get into uh, a couple times a week. It's been a real pleasure talking with you again today, sir. Um, if you have a website yeah, or Twitter address you'd like to give out, yeah, um, yeah. Anybody who uh, who wants to can find me on Twitter at d helling sports, and I usually post uh, everything that I write that I'm clever enough to. Can, to convince someone to actually publish on there. So, uh, yeah. All right, all right. Well, sir, thank you. We'll, we'll definitely have you back on as, as the, the concussion uh, goes forward and if we start to see results of any of the NCAA compensation affecting uh, NCAA hockey. And, and, of course, we're going to keep our eye on illegalized sports gambling and, and how it becomes more and more incorporated into the National Hockey League. So, so thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Well, I guess that's going to bring this episode of the Red Hockey Podcast to a close. Um, final thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, like I said, uh, it was great having Derek on. Our next show will be the first, uh, I think first Saturday in January, if that's, if I have my math correct. Um, and, uh, and we're going to have Lyle Richardson from Spectres Hockey on, so we'll break down, nice. uh, I was hoping all the, do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll break down, uh, all the, uh, trade rumor stuff, a lot of different things flying around out there, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, after the Taylor Hall domino, maybe things will start moving a little bit quicker, too, if if, if the Devils were willing to do that. Uh, well, I'm sure they'll be willing to trade some of their other players uh, if the right offer came along. So, and then the following Saturday, um, we'll have Russ Cohen on, talk a little Flyers, a little East Coast hockey, East Coast Metropolitan Atlantic hockey, Eastern Conference hockey, I should say, and a little draft sneak preview. And uh, uh, I guess uh, the First Wednesday in January, we'll go back to our midweek show as well. All right, man. That all sounds really good. Uh, this episode and all episodes of the Red Sox Podcast can be found on the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com, where, where they have a podcast from every National Hockey League team, and we're fortunate enough to be partnered with them for the Vegas Golden Knights portion of their website. So if you're interested in a podcast from us or any of the other National Hockey League teams, go over to the hockeypodcastnetwork.com and check out all of the hockey podcasts they have available there. They do a great job. And, and uh, you know, I've almost completed a listen on every other host in the league, Chris, and uh, it's really good hockey content for any of the teams that they carry. Uh, the hosts the hosts all do a great job when, when um, the, you know, the shows I've listened to, and uh, we're fortunate to be partnered up with them, so. Absolutely, yeah. Everyone uh, check those those shows out for sure. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. We hope everybody's having a safe and happy holiday season. And we'll be back in the new year for Chris on Mark. And we're gone. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.